We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ready for the coziest Christmas ever? Get to Old Navy for up to 60% off everything. That's right. The entire store is on sale, including mix and match, jingle jammies, and festive prints for the whole family from 8 bucks, and adult sweaters from 12 bucks. But hurry, like the holidays, this deal won't last. Get up to 60% off the entire store today at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 12-11 to 12-17 excludes clearance, gift cards today only, two-day only deals, register lane items, jewelry, gift of the week, and Zip Zap stuff gifting bins. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, we the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. This is episode 58, and thanks again for tuning in. If you've got an iPhone, please subscribe to iTunes, Android, it's Google Play, and on Spotify on either. Five stars is great, so you can also find us on social media as well, on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or at HiltonD13, and on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. So basically just type in the Barcelona Podcast anywhere in your Google search browser, and you'll be able to see us on all the different platforms you can find us on. So, Frances, big show today. What's going on? Well, plenty going on. First and most importantly, we're 19 points ahead of Madrid, and we are at top of La Liga. So our grand pregunta today is, how did that happen? Why are Barca 19 points ahead of Real Madrid? After that, I've got an interview which is amazing. I know I say that every week, but this one really, truly is. We've got Kevin Williams from the Barcelona Football blog and he is an incredible knowledgeable man and I can't wait to share that interview with you and then we're going to end the show with a round of La Ronda which is listener questions that come in through social media. The Barcelona podcast 58 starts right here. We started with the Gran Pregunta. Why is Barcelona leading Real Madrid by 19 points in the Liga? But Frances, I actually have a little bit of beef with this question. I prefer this question, why is Barcelona leading Atletico Madrid by 11 points in the Liga because they're second? And you know how it is. I know we think about Real Madrid and always look over our shoulder for them, but I think with this season, it's giving Los Blancos a little too much credit. And I think, again, the league is at a point now where the ones to worry about are the ones that are over our shoulder in Atletico Madrid or Valencia. They're the ones who are going to make sure that Barcelona aren't going to be able to close this one out and basically sail to the title. But... I guess instead of just having beef with the question, let's get to the reason of why they're doing so well this season. And I think it comes down, for me at least, to more than just Messi and and Luis Suarez, who've been phenomenal of late. But 
what Valverde has gotten out of his squad players, I think, has been the most important thing. Absolutely, and that's the reason why I put Real Madrid in the question, is just to note and realize that actually the team that was going to conquer the world, that, you know, there was plenty of comparisons over the summer, whether they're better than Pep Guardiola's Barca, best team ever, etc. They actually really floundered and they really sort of are next to nowhere. They haven't really been a force to be reckoned with as they expected over the last four or five months. And yeah, I, I really did. I really wanted everyone to realize that actually our main rival right now is not Real Madrid at all. Um, but then again, this is the Barcelona podcast, not the Real Madrid podcast, and it would never be. So I'm going to stop talking about them so we can focus on us. I think that the fact that Valverde has led the side to 17 wins and just three draws in 20 um, rondas of La Liga, that is tremendous. You know, I think that a team that has been under construction from the word go, um, obviously coming from Luis Enrique, it was incredibly powerful squad in terms of quality, but they were just not gelling. And I think Valverde has really excelled so far. There were tough trips to Anoeta and Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid, and we've come, come away unbeaten from every single one of those grounds. Uh, we are leading La Liga with a huge advantage, and I think it's down to the fact that Valverde is able to get the best out of all players he's got. Yeah, certainly, and those players that you talk about, and you and Kevin Williams will run through some of these names but in the interview, but let's do it first. I mean, some of those rhetorical questions you'd ask is, would Barcelona still be undefeated in the league without Thomas Rebellion? And when Umtiti went down, you worried that there would be bench, there would be depth on the bench. Even Mascherano wasn't fully fit, so it had to be Thomas Rebellion, who was finally fit after all this time, waiting on the Barcelona sidelines. And while he unfortunately is hurt again, the job he did in the time while Umtiti was out, and isn't it, it's oddly poetic that Umtiti is the one who substituted in coming back from injury for Vermillion is he's most likely going to be back on the sideline. And with Yuri Minia coming into the club, who knows if Vermillion is ever going to get a sniff again. But yet, in the time that Valverde employed him, he was fantastic, potentially better than PK when they were out there so many times over the last now about a month and a half, two months. And even though he's injured as well, Paco Akather, that's another one I look at where at the start of the year, he was out of form. He wasn't having a place in the club. Then he starts scoring and thinking of that game against Sevilla when he had a double in particular, Sevilla is a tough opponent. And yet because of Paco Akather, not Messi, not Luis Suarez, not Ter Stegen, but because of Paco Akather, Barcelona get three points against Sevilla. And even Andre Gomez, when, and I'll leave your conversation with Kevin Williams, where you guys really go into good detail on him, he's getting drastically better this season than he was last year. And that was one of the big keys. Not that he's now this world beater, instant starting 11 player, but he just certainly fits and has a role in the squad, particularly of late. And for me, he's even playing on the wing where we worried that he was never going to figure out under Luis Enrique, but yet Valverde has him playing on the wing and he seems to be doing well enough. And that's the whole point that Valverde has been so rock solid on all all the choices he's made with personnel and he's getting the most out of players that we figured were just going to be transferred away in January if they couldn't find a spot in the team. Yes, and also, you know, we keep saying that Valverde is a calm leader who likes dialogue and, you know, he's got more of a personal touch than definitely Luis Enrique ever had. And and we keep saying that, but actually it is the truth. You know, when you've got someone that you can look up to, someone that has walked the wall, because let's not forget he was a professional for nearly the best paid of nearly two decades and he played at Barca for two three seasons which is not a long time but he did coincide with Johan Cruyff at the time and he knows the club really well and, and he's someone who always prioritizes the nurturing part the, the human part 
of relationships in order to to move things forward. And because he can do that, he can take the best out of the players that you mentioned. Now, I want to really want to highlight the point that in in twenty matches we scored fifty nine goals, which is basically three goals per game, and that is absolutely exceptional. And the fact that we've only conceded nine goals in twenty matches, it really really makes you three to. 0.5 goals, you know, winning score of three against 0.5 in every single game on average. And, and that is exceptional. Now, the players that you mentioned, obviously, have got a great part to play. But I think someone like Jordi Alba, for example, he's currently, arguably, at the best point in his whole career. He's scored twice and, you know, he's a left back, so you wouldn't really expect him to score at all. But he's given nine assists and he's connecting with Messi as often as... You know, as often as there is a sun shining in the sky in Barcelona, which is pretty much every day. Um, in terms of Iniesta, of course, you know, he's, he's a year older and father time does never really help. But, you know, he's, he's the way he understands Messi, his quality, he's got all of that basically is out of the question. But the fact that he's rested enough, the fact that he's confident in his own body, he's got little niggles here and there. But at 33, haven't played the amount of seasons and games that Iniesta has had to endure over the years, you, you have to sort of admit that that's going to happen. But I think that because Barca play a more controlled game, he's back to his best, you know, and, and he knows what his role is and he's able to deploy it in the best possible way. And, you know, just in passing to say that that really helps Busquets shine even more these days. So as, as we are saying, Valverde's main feat is to ensure that the great players he has actually can perform as close enough to the best as possible. That's absolutely true. You run up and down the squad list. And for me, I was critical when we started this podcast all the way back in May of 2017, if people remember that I was critical of the season that Sergio Busquets had had. I thought last season that he didn't really find his form until midway through the year. And even then he didn't have too many outstanding performances. Yet Sergio Busquets, not to say he's back to his absolute best, because I don't think we're going to see the very best of Sergio Busquets again because Xavi and Iniesta aren't the way that they were playing. So I think that was the best duo that Busquets could have ever worked with, and that got the best out of him. But Sergio Busquets is certainly better than he was a season ago, and we even look over the weekend where Busquets was so important to Barcelona's turnaround, and he is the player that helped wear down that defense. And even looking at the time when he stepped in, took that interception that led to the first Messi goal, that's what Busquets is so good at that he's gotten back to. And you look at even Rakitic, who's playing in a different role as well. He's been such a big help to the player's game to be moved and given a different role than he had under Luis Enrique, under Valverde. And Rakitic is back to his best being in the starting lineup as well. And Iniesta continues to do what he's doing. Paulinho's a new player that, again, we were, we have to be honest, Frances, we were very, very critical of. And yet he's been a sensation with the highest scoring midfield goal total of all of La Liga. And again, I think that goes back to crediting Valverde's tactics that for all the Kool-Aids, I mean, and that's again, you and I included, where if people ask us on the street, how did Barcelona play? We go, oh, of course, it's a 4-3-3. That's how you play. It's a 4-3-3. Cruyff had the idea. Pep Guardiola built on it. Barcelona play a 4-3-3. But actually, Barcelona playing mainly a 4-4-2, and it's working to great, great effect. And Valverde has, just in a half a season, won over people who tactically disagreed with his ideas. A lot of culés as well are really purists, and I have to say, I'm probably more inclined to, to be feeling like that. You know, you, you, we've got the Johan Cruyff philosophy, and for me, that's the right way to play. You know, you play a 3-4-3 in Cruyff's time, obviously, but 
evolve into a 4-3-3 under Guardiola most of the time. And to me, that's the right way to play. You know, you've got the two wide wingers, you've got a central striker who's quite mobile. And obviously, when you've got Xavi in Iniesta and Busquets behind, you pretty much can do anything, can you? But um, I think one of Valverde's greatest successes so far this season is the fact that he's been allowed to tamper with that system. And sure, around October, November time, Barca weren't really playing very well. Um, and let's be honest, we won a lot of games simply because Messi is the best player to ever play the game. And he carried the team forward. But the thing is, because Messi could do that, the team wasn't able to to grow and to build on, on previous mistakes while we were winning. So there wasn't that much pressure coming from the press or the fans, and that's incredibly important. And I think particularly the last month, we've seen Barca playing fantastic football. I mean, the second half that we saw against Betis, that was truly spectacular. You know, in the first half, I thought they were quite slow and sloppy at times. But basically, and I think Joaquin said it really well, Barca basically tire you out. Uh, they don't attack you all the time and they let you sort of do a bit of the work during the first half. But then after the break, they come and attack you. And, you know, even if you can contain players like Suarez, like Iniesta, etc., then they've got Messi, well, we've got Messi, who always makes the difference. And yeah, that, that thing, that's a really, really fantastic system that is allowing Messi and the rest of the team to shine. And not many teams seem to have the answer. And I really do hope that that continues for many years to come. Yeah, not to continue to enjoy our own Kool-Aid for a second, but we'll continue to be positive in saying how high and question how high this team can go. And we've talked in previous shows that the Copa del Rey where uh, Barcelona, again, and most teams in the Liga, Barcelona have recently been winning it, but they don't prioritize it. The priorities are at La Liga and the Champions League. But that said, in the Liga, the question of Barcelona completing an undefeated season is still going to be questioned until they wind up taking a loss. And more likely than even an undefeated season, which again is so difficult, they could reach 100 points, which they hadn't done since 2012-2013 when Tito Villanova accomplished that feat. Because you look at it, they've already gone to the Bernabeu, they've already gone to the Juana Metropolitano, and they've already gone to Aniota, which they hadn't gotten a positive result since 2007. So it's very possible that they reach 100 points. And again, they don't plan on being undefeated. But as you try to answer the way that Valverde is navigating this season, uh, one thing I do want to bring up, Frances, and I want to pick your brain on this. In the U.S., I find with mainly the sport of baseball for our listeners in the U.S. who are familiar with baseball, and even to a point in basketball and hockey, and with baseball in particular, you have these managers and coaches that are brought in, and they like to call them player coaches or player managers, as in leaders who have relationships off the field with individual players, and they're very approachable, they seem to be fun guys, and it's not so much about X's and O's and and come and coming to my office as a, as a team, never approach me individually, but looking as a guy who's just going to go over X's and O's and game plan and things like that in a very stern, and not even aloof, but a, a very unapproachable way. And I think in soccer now, too, especially on the, at the global level, you have these players that are making insane amounts of money. And you have players, particularly in Barcelona, who are just outrageously talented, who play their way. And they're players that it's hard to change them when they have that kind of confidence. They have the egos that they do. They have a style that they individually would like to play as well. So it's a manager's job to try to get all those egos together and try to get them to play 
as a unit. And of course, that's a simple thing that survived in football for 150 years. But my point is that in today's modern game, with the money flowing the way it is, and egos being the way they are, and Barcelona, of course, has always been very good at reducing those those egos. And you think about Iniesta leading, like, why he's given the captain's armband, because he is who he is, and other players on the team should follow. But Nevertheless, Valverde seems to be the the modern player manager, the modern guy that he has his game plan, but to get the most out of his players, he needs them to continue to be themselves. And I wonder, Frances, if having heard that entire rant, you think that there's something to that? No, I definitely agree. I definitely think that having players from La Masia that lead the dressing room really does help as well. Um, It's not to take any credit of, of Valverde. I think Valverde in terms of player relationship, is is on par with someone like Pep Guardiola, for example, and Carlo Ancelotti as well. They're the three examples of coaches who definitely trust and really care and nurture the human side of, of player relationships. But I think the success of Barca over the last, I would say, couple of decades now is the fact that the leaders within the dressing room, they are ours. You know, they've been growing through La Masia. They've got those very defined clear, forward-thinking set of principles on not just how to play the game, which obviously matters, but also how to behave, how to be an ultimate professional. Someone like Amor, then obviously Guardiola, Puyol, Xavi, Busquets, Iniesta, and obviously Leo Messi himself, they are carrying the team forward through the most successful era in our history. And I think that having that role model in the dressing room definitely Whoever comes, you know, from an outside, obviously the clearest example to me is, is Ronaldinho uh, coming from a completely different culture with a completely different way of understanding football, um, but then sort of adapting to the beliefs of Xavi, Puyol in particular, and then getting the best out of himself. Someone like Neymar as well, modeling himself on Messi's professionalism, that made a huge difference. And, you know, let's not even talk about Dani Alves, who is the party man himself. So I think that just there you've got three clear examples of the fact that the Barca dressing room is powerful enough and it's experienced enough and it's ambitious enough to actually, in a way, take care of themselves. But that is not to say that the role of the manager is to empower those people to shine and to basically be the best they can be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Frances, we just spent the last 17, 18 minutes just talking about all the positive, great things about why Barcelona are doing so well. And I think as two fans of the club, as you know, obviously we, we try to be critical of the club, but as two fans of the club, it's good to enjoy this time as Kool-Aid's while Barcelona are doing so well. And, and if they do take losses in the league or if they don't wind up capturing the Champions League, well, then we can tell our listeners that, yes, we will be critical of the club in those times, but it's a time to be positive, Frances. And I think, speaking of positivity, we've got an announcement that we hope that our listeners think is a positive thing too. Well, I really do hope they, they think so. Um, basically... In the last week's show, we asked you to contribute to a goal in order to bring the second show back. Unfortunately, we haven't reached that goal, but then we, we did a lot of thinking. I was speaking to Dan over the weekend, and we actually thought, well, we've got Patreons, which are incredibly supportive. We've got some of our patrons actually, have been funding the show for the last six months, and they haven't really gotten any reward, like tangible reward, and... Obviously, they do it from the bottom of their hearts because they appreciate our work. But we were thinking we actually want to give something back to them. And as a result, that's the drum roll. I don't know if you can hear that properly. We have decided that we are bringing the second show back tomorrow. So the day that this podcast is released, 
just wait another day and the second show is coming up and because the, our patrons are the ones that are supporting our work then we are going to offer our work to them uh, via tbpod.link forward slash patreon that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n now we've got plenty of ideas for the new content and these have already been put into place so basically it's going to be a weekly show so a bonus episode call it that and it's going to be 40 minutes at least and we're going to be discussing La Gran Pregunta again, so a different Gran Pregunta. The one we're going to cover this week is why is Leo Messi a much more effective player this season? And what is the key difference from this season to last? And I really can't wait to share that with them. We're also going to be bringing back the five star players of the week. And Dan and I are going to, as always, disagree on that, I'm sure. Um, now, whenever we have an interview, I'm very grateful to all the, the different experts and, and coolers around the world that have been featuring, but every single week we've had to cut the interview down because when we record, they actually have so much more to say, but then we can't really put it in the podcast. Otherwise, the podcast would be seven and a half hours long. So what we are going to do is we're going to have the bits that we cannot fit in the first episode of the week are going to be on the bonus episode, which our patrons can access. And then... And similarly, every single week, we tend to keep some listener questions out or we just rush them a little bit too much. And we don't think that's fair. We're going we're gonna to make sure that everyone who sends a question in gets a decent, longer answer. And those are going to be featured in our second show as well. So if you don't want to miss out on that second show, just go to tvpod.link forward slash Patreon uh, or just tap on your show notes now. There's going to be a link there on the first line. And I really hope that you enjoy the second show. Very, very, very well said, Frances. And speaking of interviews that had a lot of content in that we won't be able to fit all of, is going to be the one coming up with Kevin Williams from Barcelona Football Blog. So we have about the first 20 minutes of the interview you did with him. And then the rest of that interview, which is about 15, 20 minutes as well, is going to be found in the Patreon episode coming out. So without further ado, here's an interview with Kevin Williams. Right, so as we said, we are now joined by Kevin Williams from the Barcelona Football Blog, someone that I've been admiring for many, many years. Um, I have to say, I have been writing for ESPN, etc., but I think Kevin's columns in the Barcelona Football Blog are, I would arguably say they're much better than mine, um, although it sort of pains my pride to say that. Uh, but yeah, delighted to be joined by such a fantastic writer. Kevin, how are you today? Uh, very good. Uh, thanks for getting over the uh, flu, so pardon me if my voice gets a little husky at times. But yeah, I'm, I'm uh, very good. We're having a lovely day here in Chicago. It's almost 60 degrees and semi-cloudy, which is strange uh, for a uh, end of January day. But yeah, here we go. It's Fantastic. a great day. Good. Um, make me a little bit envious. It's very chilly here in London. Um, so where does your passion from Barca come from? You're constantly tweeting, you're const- constantly writing. And you clearly know the club very well. So can you tell us a little bit more about your background, please? So, yeah, I came to the uh, club as a miserable Chicago Bears fan, uh, which is the American football team here. Mm-hmm. In the, um, they were uh, coming off of uh, uh, decades of misery. And in looking for a new sort of way to uh, channel my uh, passions, I ran across uh, proper football and nibbled at teams. Obviously, there wasn't. Uh, anywhere near the um, wide array of means that we had to uh, take in a match back then. You had to, you know, get uh, lucky and find ESPN broadcast somewhere or, you know, find a, a bar with one that was like massive satellite dishes that could uh, contact space Martians and stuff. And so I um, stumbled 
uh, over uh, the uh, famous, uh, well, the famous Rivaldo uh, Chilena, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm sure has created more coulees than uh, probably anything known to mankind. And that passion sort of hooked me. And even if I was not yet hooked on that team, I was hooked on sort of the uh, the way that all felt. Um, it was a very different thing from the um, uh, very heavily armored uh, gladiatorial style of American football. It was very uh, visceral. and He ripped off his shirt and the, the place went wild. And it, it was just this strangely appealing thing that led me to uh, delve more deeply and become connected to that uh, main club. That's good. That's a, that's a good story. And as you said, there's a lot of people that um, got attracted by Barca because of Rivaldo and the, the, the youngsters, um, Ronaldinho. And a goal. Yeah, a fantastic goal it was. So um, talking about fantastic goals and, and great teams, Barca seem to be on the up this season. And just yesterday, we won 5-0 away against Betis. And we right. went to half time at 0-0. So you really did think that it was going to be a difficult match. Um, a very tough nut to crack, particularly in the first half, but then something happened at half time and there was a transformation. So what, what were your thoughts on that? So what I said when the match first started was that Barca would have to survive the first 20 minutes and they did. And from there I said, now Betis will get tired and they did. And it was funny because after the match, uh, Rakitic said, well, we just kind of waited for them to get, get tired and then we, we took care of it. And that was what happened. I don't know that that either team played any differently, but uh, when they became less effective at uh, doing what they did, uh, that made Barca more if so at doing what they did. Um, if you think about the goals that were scored, um, none really came from open play in that uh, traditional uh, Barcelona sense, right? They all came from capitalizing on mistakes that were made by Betis, either in coverage or in possession, uh, particularly the first goal and then the um, uh, the amazing Busquets interception and then a pass to Messi. So I think that while we like to think that uh, Val Verde blasted their eardrums in the locker room and the players came out with this strange resolve, it's really simply explained by nature. Legs get tired. And once you lose that step, and people don't realize how hard it is to stop uh, Barcelona from scoring um, because the, the ball moves constantly. It moves in many different directions, many different ways. And the uh, players who are playing with that uh, ball are so gifted. I mean, even the worst Barcelona player is still an amazing footballer. And you just can't uh, chase that around for a whole match. Yeah, the only reason Espanyol could was because, one, they got lucky, B, there was a rotation lineup, and C, Lucas uh, Dina couldn't cover my dead grandmother on the break. <laughs> did your grandma play for Espanol then? <laughs> yeah, she did, unfortunately. That's why we had to kill her. Oh, bad, bad times, bad times. Um, okay, so based on that then, would you say that um, Barca are playing good football this season? Oh, they're playing fantastic football, and it's just because they've gone back to the basics. I mean, the one thing I said uh, back in September when the team first started to uh, gel was that uh, Val Verde had returned the uh, team to the basics. So Luis and Vique, right, because of the uh, tools he had, he had to shoot for that high volume, high energy, um, high creativity, and rather chaotic, right, not in a uh, pejorative sense, let's not um, um, make chaotic 
mean bad, but he had to use chaos because uh, Neymar was chaos and Suarez was chaos and Messi could be chaos. And for uh, two seasons, chaos worked. Then once people figured out that uh, they need to uh, find a way to control chaos, which they did by uh, walling off Neymar, then uh, the answers weren't there. Uh, Valverde, once he uh, lost Neymar in trying to figure out what kind of team he wanted to build, figured he should start with the basics. That meant smart uh, defense. That meant uh, having his uh, players work in certain areas of the pitch and making the uh, game uh, return to its roots, which is just passing and running. And we see the results. I mean, it's a really basic type of football that uh, Barca plays right now, uh, but it's very uh, effective because of the skill sets of the uh, people who are now executing it. Definitely. I also think there's variations of tactics that come come at different phases in the game. So despite the fact that it seems like a 4-4-2 sort of traditional 1990 football, then you've got shades of 4-3-3, you've got 4-2-3-1s at times. And I think it's the variation and the adaptability of the players of being able to do what the coach needs and more importantly, what the game actually needs. Now, when Valverde started the season, um, he was given sort of free range to do what he wanted um, in a club that traditionally is just 4-3-3 because Cruyff told us and that's what we do. And um, it seemed to be affecting Luis Suarez. Obviously, he was going through a bad spell in terms of confidence, but he didn't seem to have full fitness. A lot of people did write him off during that time and now he's back to his best. So what would you say to those people that were doubting Suarez at the start? Well, I was one of them. I mean, I felt like he had, my notion was that age hit him very hard, right? I mean, he is the uh, kind of body that won't age well when it comes to football. He's thick, right? Meaning his uh, muscle belly, and he's a, a substantial man, which means that when you start to age, that lightness, that sprightliness, that spring in the step, that just goes. And my presumption, like so many others, was, man, 30 hit him hard. And um, many people uh, called us uh, knuckleheads and said, well, once his knee gets better, you'll see uh, he'll be back. And there was doubt, right? Because we both saw it. He was horrific. Um, He was the uh, place where every attack went to die. He was angry. Uh, he was glowering. He was just walking around like this wounded mastodon. And then, meanwhile, uh, Val Verde did two things, um, said to him very clearly, look, we aren't going to go anywhere if you're not uh, driving the uh, bus, so you take the time that you need to get better. And then he de- uh, devised this uh, program, which let his knee heal. And once his knee healed, that was that, and he's back. So I don't know if there was any magic as much as he's fit again. And now that he's fit, he's the uh, player that we thought had gone away. Right. Good for us. Yeah, fantastic news, because um, I, I was not doubting him, but I always knew that there was something better to come. And uh, I did decide to stick to him, to his guns and, and to his ability and, and to defend him whenever possible. And um, it, ha- it seems to have paid off with time, but um, it is great to see that you know, we probably have another striker there for the next year, a couple of years at least, and performing at a level that is enviable. So really, really pleased for that. Um, another player that gets criticism in social media is Rakitic. And uh, I thought he was exceptional against Betis, and I know so do you. So what would you want to say about Rakitic at this point? Well, he's been exceptional all season. He's had one, maybe uh, one and a half legitimately off 
matches, and those matches tended to be more chaotic. Um, uh, Rakitic is now at an age where he's never been a fast player. He's never been one of those players who, um, a say, a Akule would look at and say, man, that guy should maybe have come from La Masia. Never, right? He's a player who is direct. He's a smart player on the ball. He moves well off of the ball. He is sort of a mini Paulinho, if you will. I know that will <laughs> that many people, right? But I mean, he that works. Won't, that won't please a lot of people, Kevin. I know, but I mean, he works in those corridors. Uh, as And so what uh, Val um, very good has made his game uh, simple as well. And so now what uh, Rakitic uh, does is rather than dribbling and doing the Barca mid fielder stuff. Uh, he does a lot of what uh, Rafinha used to do under Luis Enrique. Um, he is a shuttle between lines. He is defensive stability. And the really cool thing Valverde has done is in using him as a sub for uh, Busquets. Now in match, you see he and Busquets swapping. And so you'll see Busquets gets slide forward and Rakitic slides back, which, as you know, meets my uh, fantasy uh, of having Busquets as the six. Right. Okay. So based on what you said then, Suarez coming back to life because he was dead at some point, really. Yeah. Um, Rakitic performing to a good level. And would you say that everything is down to Valverde's doing? Or would you agree with the people that say that Messi is the only reason why Barca are winning? Oh, oh, that's a complex question, right? Because how can you ever say that having the greatest player in the uh, uh, history of the uh, game on your uh, team is not the reason uh, for success? Messi's obviously a huge, huge reason that the uh, team is doing well. But Valverde is that key summer transfer. He took this team. Let's not forget, right, the state that this uh, team and this club was in. Uh, they lost Neymar. Uh, they had no idea, what, uh, really no idea. Well, they will say, yeah, we knew that it'd be Dembele all the, the time. They lied. They had no idea, right? They were out there with a whole lot of money and looking around and saying, what the hell? Mm -hmm. um, they had a, a coach and they had no uh, tertiary star and no sort of fast moving creative force. So Dembele became that, that guy. He came, then he broke. And what Valverde had to do is make this team, remake this uh, team, what, three times, right? Uh, with Neymar, uh, then without uh, Neymar, then with uh, Dembele, and then without uh, Dembele. He has done a remarkable, and I think a coach of the year so far, job in building this I don't know if I would call them a juggernaut right now, but they are uh, certainly a very impressive team that I hope people are uh, starting to uh, think of as a, a Champions League favorite. Yeah, I think for me they, they have to be because obviously the criticism around October, November was that Barca really weren't playing any football and they were just getting by because Messi was scoring goals. and That was nonsense. Yeah, well, there you go. A lot, a lot of people believe that. Um, I, I am with you. I think it was a team in construction and you can see that Barca are actually playing fantastically well now. The second part of the game in, in at Betis in Sevilla was outstanding. And yeah, I'm with you. I think Valverde has done a lot of a lot of good. So 
because the team is doing so well, we're 19 points ahead of Madrid. Do we need Coutinho? Oh. I mean, 142 million euros for a player that really is going to only add to a Liga that we're already pretty much winning, right? More importantly, we're 11 points ahead of Atleti, right? That's the team that mm-hmm. Madrid, as I predicted uh, back in September, they were always going to be worse, right? You can't um, sell the number of goals that they sold and expect to have your BBC continue producing at a rate that was going to keep you uh, sitting at top of the league. So uh, you had to fear they would get worse. At Letty, they're the uh, uh, team now with uh, Costa back. That was a real danger. To be 11 points ahead of them is a massive, massive sigh of relief. And I think that uh, Valverde, while he's downplaying publicly the idea that uh, Liga is done, Liga's done. So uh, the question now is, was Coutinho necessary? Now, yes. Why? Because Barcelona takes time, right? As I've said before, the speed of play, the speed of thought, uh, the way the ball moves, the way the uh, players move, that takes time. Look at Andre uh, Gomes, right? He's now finally uh, working at the pace required to uh, play with these guys. That 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 takes at least half a season to build. With uh, Coutinho coming now, he does two things. He lets uh, Val Verde uh, rest in Iesta in league. And while the league is done, if you wind up uh, trying to play the uh, close-held system that uh, Val uh, Verde has in mind, and you try to play without uh, the main guy who drives it, that's Iniesta, then what do you do, right? I mean, he is a unique profile, and Coutinho is very close to that uh, profile. So when you rest Iniesta in league and keep him fresh uh, for the uh, uh, big Champions League uh, matches, then that sort of raises the uh, right now value of getting Coutinho. So I don't think, I mean, many said it's uh, too much money. You know what? It's not our money. Who cares? I mean, it's sort of my money. I'm so <laughs> but it's, it's, I mean, it's not really our money. And the other thing is when you uh, look at net spend versus um, income, right? Even if we side-eye the uh, fiscal boondoggles that the uh, um, uh, that they are no doubt uh, doing right now behind closed uh, doors, I mean, it's not been that expensive a window. I think now is the exact right time for Coutinho because he has to have some uh, time to assimilate so that we don't uh, roll him out in uh, next August, people saying, Oh, 145 million for what, right? So now he's got that half a season to bet in. He'll be fine. That's all the time we've got for today. But before we go, where can our listeners follow your work online? Oh, they can go to uh, BarcelonaFootballBlog.com where they will find years of content uh, written by myself, written by Isaiah, written by people like uh, Diana, like um, uh, Blitzen, who and uh, we're all... You can follow us all on uh, Twitter. Look us up. And uh, thank you very much, Francesca. Again, thank you to Kevin Williams from Barcelona Football Blog. Of course, we had Isaiah on a few weeks ago, and now we get Kevin on. So the two main writers for that 
publication online. And again, thank you so much for Kevin for joining you. And Frances, just listening to that interview, I have to say that it must be great being Kevin and being able to say, I told you so off so often. When you look back at his season predictions, he gets it right so, so often. Um, it's particularly with the Real Madrid business, and that's pretty incredible. And I wish that you and I had the opportunity to say, I told you so, but as I already mentioned, you and I did not hit the Paulinho thing correctly. I don't know if that hurts our credibility. It really does a bit, but I want to say as well, um, at the beginning of the season, I think after we recorded our fifth or sixth podcast, I was invited to the Front 3 podcast, and it was an interview that I basically, they, they published as a bonus episode. And we were talking about Neymar's departure. And in the last question, they said, so what, what do you expect from Barca this season? And remember, we were at rock bottom. We had just received, I think it was 5-1 in the Supercopa against Madrid. And I said that we're going to win the treble. And they pretty much, they didn't abuse me, obviously. But um, there were several comments on social media saying, this guy is deluded, you know, like you really have to bring someone to a podcast that's got some credibility. But looking at where we are now, I don't think that's such a stupid, weird, outrageous prediction as they seem to believe at the time. Now, Frances, you caught me. What I do is I actually create fake accounts and I and I, I make sure I say nasty things under pseudonyms about you on Twitter. You know, now you finally caught me. I'm glad you finally... Uh... Well, I really do hope that the f- <laughs> this is going to be weird. I really believe that the fake accounts you create are not sort of naked women, which tend to like most of my posts all the time. I really don't know what that's about. Hopefully it's not you. No, no, I think those are just bots. But no, no, I Frances, I'm nothing but supportive. And we, again, want to thank all of our listeners who help continue make the show what it is. And that's an odd and awkward transition to La Ronda. But let's get into those listener questions. And as Frances said earlier after La Grande Pregunta today that the Ronda is going to change a little bit. We're going to have a, a time and situation now where we can answer every question. But in this first show in particular, we're only going to get to a few. And if you don't have your question answered in this show, then it can be found in the Patreon show, which again, will be out shortly. So for our first two Patreon questions, starting with Blessed Guebo, again, huge thank you for his support over these last few months. So Blessed Guebo Ask, with all these big signings, Dembele, Coutinho, and then potentially even maybe Griezmann, Thiago, how will that help transition into Messi's inevitable retirement? And Frances, this is the kind of thing that has me waking up at night screaming just about Messi's retirement and about the time in Barcelona when Messi won't be doing what he is continuing to do at an insane level. And for Dembele and Coutinho, neither are Messi, but maybe they will help with that transition. And you have to think that when Messi's wages are finally off the books, that's going to mean that other star players are going to be in the club. I think that would be the simple answer to that. And that will have to be what Barcelona will rely on. Yes. And similarly to you, I don't even want to think about it. But the thing is, it is inevitable that one day will happen. And when Messi actually does retire, then Barca are going to be a far worse club than they are right now. So I think we need to enjoy Messi while he lasts and definitely at the sort of peak of his career, which arguably that's where he is right now because he's playing unbelievably well. Um, Whether Griezmann, whether Dembele or any other players, Coutinho, have come up to the forefront. I would fully expect Sergio Roberto to be playing that sort of role as well in coming years, particularly with Messi gone. But I think he's an unbelievable player He's not going to ever be repeated and no one can even come close. But I think that if we continue to play um, a solid game and we continue to play together and, and we are sort of as collaborative as we are right now, then the future, there's no reason to doubt that it can be right as well. But 
you know, when Messi goes, it's it's not going to be very exciting or not as exciting as it is now. That's that's understandable. Yeah, and I think even for Real Madrid, looking at Cristiano Ronaldo, when he finally hangs his boots up, as it is with any of these legends, that the teams, it's not that Barcelona won't be a Champions League contender every year, but when you take the best player possibly of all time and and, and retire him and then have to expect to replace him in any way Barcelona may not be as good as they are they're, they're not going to be expected to be a top three four Champions League favorite year in and year out but certainly when you look at teams like Chelsea like Manchester United of late those are clubs that they've lost some of their icons but there will always be with the amount of money the club has other players stepping into that role and then Barcelona will become just one of the five six seven eight clubs that can want to win the champ or have aspirations every season of winning the Champions League. And I don't think that will go away. So I think that's the positive from all of that. Second question, Prudvi asked, Hey guys, a broader question and one that might not have an answer yet. This is about a replacement for Busquets. I know currently there is no need, but we should seriously consider looking at a replacement for the next two to three years. Are there any La Masia players that play in a similar role? And do you think we should start looking for replacements who are, can learn from Busquets in the next year or two? And I think that's an accurate statement to say that while Busquets still has plenty of quality to give, you look at other players in the club. And so you look at the last few years in La Masia, I think, Frances, and whether the names are Ordo Romeu, whether it's Sergi Samper, or now most currently Oriol Busquets, there are players that are said to be in the academy that play the Sergio Busquets role. But because Busquets is still occupying that role... I don't think there is an opportunity for a like-for-like replacement to come in. But again, being able to train with the first team, maybe Oral Busquets is that guy. And Sergi Samper, when he comes back from from injury, maybe given the proper opportunities by the time he's in his his mid-20s, he winds up being that kind of guy. Again, Busquets, much like Messi, is one of the best that's ever played in that position. And so a like-for-like replacement is going to be tough. But I think the way Barcelona want to play and the the philosophy of the club means that you need a player like that. And the way that world football is moving, a guy like N'Golo Kante, who plays for Chelsea, it seems like that's where the defensive midfielder role is going to a guy that is very, very, very mobile and able to 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 cover all the areas in front of the back four. And a guy like Busquets with his passing is going to be much more difficult to replace. And I wonder if that role, the defensive midfielder role, isn't going to change with the quote-unquote replacement coming forward for Busquets. I think my answer is going to be a bit of a repeat of the previous one there's not going to be another Busquets. And um, the same way that there wasn't another Xavi. Xavi left, and we've got no one doing the Xavi role. We've got other people trying to compensate for, and, and you know, add different shades of, of great game and great football and great understanding, but they're not going to be Xavi's. We don't have another Puyol. You know, someone like Piqué has elements of Puyol's game, and definitely Untiti arguably has even more shades of his game, but there's not going to be a replacement. So... That, that, that first, and then also thinking about the fact that, for example, Valverde now, a lot of the games he's going for a double pivot in the middle. Um, it's not really a double pivot, but it's two central midfielders playing alongside each other. Like, for example, um, the second half at Betis, that's what we have with Rakitic and obviously Busquets himself. So can someone do what Busquets does? Well, yeah, someone definitely could, but the thing is not they're not going to do it in the same way. But the last point I want to make as well is that Busquets is going nowhere anytime soon. Because his game, he's not someone like, say, Dembele, for example, who without his speed, he will be lacking in different areas. Busquets doesn't need to be 
incredibly fast. He needs to be physical enough to be in different places at the same time. But I think Busquets length and Busquets vision are probably one of the both or the best are probably two of these best skills and there's no need and there's no reason why those would disappear in the in the short term. So I think Busquets is in the team to stay for a good I would say a good four or five years still. Yes, certainly. So Jonathan Allen asks, what is the player that you would love to have at Barcelona but seems impossible to sign? My answer would be Varadi. Now I'm going to give a cop-out answer to let you answer the real question, Frances, and I would say, ask me again in three years, and the answer is Christian Pulisic. So I'm going to be, there's, there's the bias, as Christian Pulisic plays for Dortmund. We've talked, we've had a whole episode about him before. You can check back on the BarcelonaPodcast.com and just find the little image of Christian Pulisic, and we talk and break him down in detail why he would be a, a sensational su- signing in the future for Barcelona when he's no longer a teenager and a little more established, and Barcelona have room and minutes to give him. So for me, it's Pulisic in a few years. I think the club is pretty good where it is. Again, a guy like N'Golo Kante, who I already mentioned this show, could change everything. But again, I think it's time for Barcelona. Just take a breath and maybe wait a a second or two before they make another gigantic, gigantic signing. That's a superb question. And I was debating. I saw it on social media when that was posted. And I don't really have an answer. I think the player that would really help Barca right now is Coque from Atletico Madrid. Um, he would add a little bit of the Rakitic role. You know, he's someone who gets a lot of stick from the fans. Um, I think the last month has really helped him, though. I think that that's diminished a little bit now. But I think Coque's physicality and understanding of the game and that grit and aggressiveness that he's got in his game that would really help Barca right now, especially if Rakitic got a long-term injury or, or anything like that. Now, beyond that, I think Isco from Real Madrid would be a great addition in terms of creativity and his ability to move forward and not just that, but associate in the final third of of the pitch, particularly, you know, you've got Isco playing alongside Messi and Suarez and Dembele and Coutinho and you really are laughing. So I think Coque would be my first choice and it would be Isco because of his creativity. Oh, yeah. Isco is a great look for that. I think if I had to pick a player right now, I agree with you. I think Isco is the guy. And I think Zidane is unfortunately just not using him to his full potential like we thought he was going to. And I think looking forward to the World Cup, and I know we don't talk too much about international football, I think Isco is going to wind up being a very important player if Spain goes deep in that tournament. That's a prediction there for you. I'm very happy that Zidane is not using Isco very well. Uh, I hope that that continues all the way to, I don't know, 2037? Is that a year? Or that one? Well, that would be Isco. Uh, he'll be pretty old at that time. But speaking of things that have gone on too long and expired, this show is going to be coming to its conclusion. But again, this is technically part one of two, as we tomorrow will have the Patreon show where we're going to have another La Grande Pregunta where we talk about what's made Messi improve as much as he has. So you can head over to Patreon. And again, it's only $3 to unlock that episode. So you can check it out there. And also, if you're on iTunes, Google Play, anywhere else, we also really appreciate those reviews that have come in and can help get us up the iTunes charts and help put this podcast in more ears. So that'll wrap it up for this show of the Barcelona podcast. Bring the hot breaking stories from the Camp No. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon and Forza Barca. Forza. Is your cell phone bill out of control? Then this is your wake-up call. The new TrackPhone Wireless gives you unlimited talk and text starting at $20 a month, no contract, plus unlimited carryover data with active service. Yep, the new TrackPhone Wireless. Now you're in control. See terms and conditions at trackphone.com. 
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.